Aggies 38, Crimson Tide 38, two seconds left. 28-yard attempt by Seth Small. It is up, and the fight Texas Aggies take down the top-ranked Tide, 41 to 38. Number one goes down, and the celebration is on in Kyle Field. What happened? Alabama play-by-play announcer Eli Gold. The good news for the Aggies, at least, it was just a $100,000 fine, which, fellas, I'm guessing was probably well worth it. With Greg McElroy and Sam Macho, I'm Wendy Nix. And never say never. It's official now. Jimbo Fisher becomes the first former assistant to beat Nick Saban. He entered 0-4 in his career against his predecessor. He also recorded his first career win over AP number one team. Fisher had been 0-6, tied for the third most losses without a win. Here's Jimbo after the big win. It doesn't mean anything to me. And I don't mean that in any disrespect. Listen, Nick is one heck of a football coach. I've known Nick for years. I've considered him a great friend. You know, coach with him, have a lot of respect for him, and he's got great teams. And we, you know, I'm, I, the thing that means something to me that our football team is learning to play against other good football teams and have success. And that's, that's the important thing to me. It, it, it was inevitable somebody was going to do it in time. So, hey, it, it happened to be us. That's great. But it, that doesn't mean anything to me because that's not a goal that I'm trying to, to talk about or do. I want our organization, our program to do well. That's, that's the only thing I care about. Sam, we'll get to Alabama in just a minute. But let's start with A&M and how the Aggies pulled this off. Yeah, well, AM consistently responded to the pressure applied by Alabama. You think about it, AM was playing really well, then all of a sudden Alabama gets momentum with the pump block, and instant response was a, a, a over 100, around 100 yard kickoff return by A chain response. And all of a sudden, fourth quarter, Zach Calzada gets hit. And then what's going to happen, right? He's going to come back. Is he not going to come back? All of a sudden, once again, you see an instant response. AM had that lead early. But who never, you never know with a team like Alabama, you never feel safe. And then Zach Calzada, the biggest thing for me was that run right there in the fourth quarter when it mattered after an injury to his leg. The boldness, the bravery, that's what I loved about this AM team. What a game. That's why we love college football. Listen, all good things must come to an end. So, too, must all good streaks. And that's exactly what happened with Alabama. They had the longest streak against unranked opponents, winning streak, that is. In college football, it was also Saban's first career loss as an AP number one versus an unranked opponent. Had been a record 48-0. Alabama's 19-game win streak was the longest active win streak in the FBS. That comes to a close as well. Here is head coach Nick Saban. Um, everybody needs to remember how they feel uh, and not forget it. Uh, because when I talk about having respect for winning, um, that's what I mean. You want to avoid the feeling that you have when you lose. By a long shot, but where does Alabama go from here? 
They got a lot of things to improve on, Wendy. No denying that. You thought that the game against the Florida Gators a few weeks earlier, you thought that'd be the game to get their attention. Unfortunately, according to those that were very close to the program, they said to me that they didn't have a great week of practice last week, that they went in probably a little bit overconfident. That's not taking anything away from the Texas A&M Aggies. They dominated both lines of scrimmage, and that's where it starts with Alabama. Alabama traditionally, for the last 15 years, has been a team that has controlled the defense line of scrimmage. Right now, they have an elite edge rusher in Will Anderson, probably one of the best edge rushers in the country. However, the interior along the defensive line is not playing up to the standard that we've come to expect from Alabama. They got gashed a couple times by the Florida Gators and by the Texas A&M Aggies. So I think that there's an awful lot to sort out on that side of the ball. And then offensively, I think they need to commit to the run game. It's a team that has thrown it a lot, and Bryce Young's been sensational. But Brian Robinson's having a great year in his own right and is probably not getting the attempts that he likely deserves, especially as they start to get close to the red zone and get close to the goal line in particular. Yeah, even to that point, like well, something that I saw, what Florida did a few weeks ago, AM copied. We saw a lot of shifts and motions from AM's offense, at least on the big plays. Florida did that a ton in their game a few weeks ago against Alabama. So some of that was exposed in this game. Number one, and Greg, to your point number two, to your point number two, it was dominating the line of scrimmage. But let's let's not forget, Alabama is still Alabama. I understand this loss, but like Alabama is still dominant. You talk about Will Anderson, you talk about the defensive line, you talk about the quarterback and Bryce Young, like Alabama is still dominant. They, I, I understand their record. I understand they just lost, but I don't see them losing again. I see them running the table and most likely meeting, meeting Georgia in the SEC championship, right? So I think Mississippi State, you can win that game. I understand Tennessee, Josh Heupel on that offense. They're playing really well. You can win that. LSU goes on and on. That November 20th game against Arkansas, that will be a very interesting game, but once again, a winnable game. And so let's not count Alabama out just yet. No, Sam, and it's interesting. You know, the Gators didn't quite pull it off, but I, you, you had to believe you'd see some of that again, which we did. They were quick to point out there were no moral victories, but it did expose just a little something. And again, to your point, we got Mississippi State, then Tennessee, and Alabama still in control as far as that goes. Time now to take a look at our ultimate performance presented by BMW, Oklahoma's Caleb Williams, who came on in relief of the relatively ineffective Spencer Rattler. Williams went 16 for 25 with 212 pass yards and two pass touchdowns to help keep the Sooners undefeated. So here's a look at how the Sooners fared with each quarterback under center on Saturday. Spencer Rattler was pulled late in the second quarter with Oklahoma trailing 35-17. Williams did end up being the more effective quarterback. Here's head coach Lincoln Riley on the quarterback question. I know I'll get a bunch of questions about it. Uh, don't plan on naming a starting quarterback here this week. We'll see how the week plays out and see where we are when we get to Saturday. Um, guys have done well, practiced well today, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. Spencer did not play his best early in the game the other day. Caleb came in and did a good job. Uh, Caleb wasn't perfect either, uh, did a good job. Spencer did a great job coming in on the two-point play. You know, for me, I, I, I feel like I have two really good players, and I feel like I don't see it as a problem. I don't see it as an issue. It's like, you know, you've got to choose uh, between two great options, and uh, it's a good position to be in. And I know both those kids will respond no matter what position they're in. I think he was spot on that he was likely to get a fair amount of questions. Here's Kirk Herbstreet earlier today on this just in, explaining the delicate balancing act that Lincoln Riley is now facing. 
if Spencer Rattler is not the guy Saturday against TCU Bear and he gets frustrated, third-year guy, he could theoretically opt out, go back to Phoenix, start training for the NFL draft, and they would be left with Caleb Williams and walk-on freshmen as, as backup quarterbacks. I think this is a microcosm of all of college football right now at that particular position and how challenging it can be to make decisions that you ultimately want to make, but it's, it's, it's a catch-22 because you don't want guys to leave because they get upset about it. It is a catch-22, Greg, and it's one we're just going to have to get used to managing. What, what do you do in this situation if you're Lincoln Riley? I would open up the quarterback competition. I've, and we've had this conversation now for several different teams over the last several weeks. It was just a couple weeks ago that Bo Nix for Auburn got sat down in favor of T.J. Fenley, only to come back the following week and dominate against an LSU team. We had the same conversations about Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson at Florida and how Anthony Richardson is really the spark that the Gators need to beat the Crimson Tide. Well, what did Emory Jones do after competing in the first two weeks? Well, he went out against Alabama, had the game of his life, and almost gave the Gators the victory. So what I'm trying to figure out right now is I understand that Caleb Williams was the best guy for the job last Saturday. What I don't know at this point is if Caleb Williams is the best guy for the job permanently moving forward. That's why I would go week to week. I would make Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams for that matter go out and earn the job that week by their performance and practice. I think Caleb Williams has a remarkably high ceiling, has a great great skill set, but let's not lose track, Sam, of what Spencer Rattler's done in an Oklahoma uniform the last season or two. So this is still a kid that can win. He's just got to get his moxie back. He's got to get his confidence back. And the only way to do that is by creating a game-like atmosphere and practice every day where he's competing against his backup. Yeah, and there's so much truth, Greg, to what you're saying about that game-like atmosphere. What I will say is this. You talk about not forgetting, and there's so much truth to that. But last year, let's not forget that Spencer Rattler got benched in the Texas game, that four-overtime game. Then he came back, and he dominated for the rest of the season. He came back on a tear, and that's when this whole talk of him being a Heisman frontrunner began. And so we saw that last year, and then who knows? This same thing happened. You get benched against Texas. You come in for a two-point conversion. You run one good play, which was great. But now you could be the starter moving forward. To Kirk's point, yes, Spencer Rattler could leave early and could go start training. But from what's been put on tape, NFL scouts may not be as excited about what they've seen this first half of the season. So it may be wiser for Spencer Rattler to stay and try to, for lack of better terms, win that starting spot back. Greg, listen, let me ask you this. If you're the Sooners, do you just, do you not worry about the possibility of Spencer Rattler? You know, he's got some opportunity that would be available to him if he did get upset. He can enter the, enter the portal. He can do other things. Do you just not worry about that and say, we're going to do what's best and we'll see how, you know, we'll see where the chips fall? Well, I, I can't be worried about his, his feelings. I mean, I got to worry about what's in the best interest, not just that one individual, but I have 125 guys on this team. If I'm Lincoln Riley, I owe it to him. I owe it to my fans to play the best player. And the best player is Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler throws a fit and decides to lead the program. So be it. It is what it is. Unfortunately, with what we have going on in college football nowadays, Spencer Rattler can essentially do whatever it is he wants to do. If he wants to leave, go train for the draft, opt out, quit the team, transfer, he can do any of those things because players have been empowered. It's all good. It's all well and good, but it does lead to some difficult decisions and a delicate handling of situations like this when you're a head coach. Yeah, there's no question it changes the dynamic. It is what it is. And again, I said it before, we'll all have to adjust, but it does change 
things a little bit uh, when you find yourself in the head coaching position. Still to come, there are still big questions in the Big Ten East. We'll look at the possible scenarios. There's so many and explain why it could be a wild ride. First Florida, then LSU. Why Georgia would be well served not to look past the Wildcats when they roll into Athens this weekend. All coming up on College Football Live. In Piscataway, the Spartans beat Rutgers 31-13 Saturday, marking the first time in program history the team has had a 200-yard rusher and a 200-yard receiver in the same game. Meanwhile, Ohio State rolled, scoring 50-plus points in the fifth straight meeting against the Maryland Terrapins. C.J. Stroud became the first QB in Big Ten history to throw five pass touchdowns and no interceptions in back-to-back -back games. The Wolverines trailed in the game for the first time all season. How about that? Michigan rallied back, though, for the 32-29 win to remain unbeaten. Jake Moody kicked the go-ahead field goal with a buck 24 remaining. Eyes overcame a 14-point deficit, their largest margin to overcome in a win over an AP Top 5 team in school history. And so now, with that, we take a look at this week's college football rankings brought to you by PlayStation. The Big Ten is the second conference to have five teams in the AP Top Ten in a single poll joining the SEC, which has done it 23 different times. It is a good problem to have. Look no further than the SEC, Sam. Even so, I mean, literally just about anything can happen in the Big Ten East. How do you see this playing out? Yeah, well, it's great. You look at the back half of that top 10. It's not the top 10. It's just the Big Ten East. That's all it is. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State. All those teams are or should be undefeated in conference. Penn State really would have won that game if Sean Clifford stays healthy. And so what I see playing out is this. I think that it's going to come down to, in the NFL, they say they remember what you do in December. Now it's going to come down to what you do in late October and early November. Look at this Look at this schedule lineup. October 30th, Penn State at Ohio State. It's going to be a great game. Also, Michigan and Michigan State, going to be another great game. Ohio State has been the, the cream of the crop in the East for so long. Now so many other teams are getting better. And then, then you go to November 20th, Michigan State, Ohio State. All these games, so you go to the last game, that Ohio State at Michigan game. The first time you see a weakness in Ohio State, that running defense and Michigan running the ball, if all that comes to bear, this on that on that November 27th game, uh, it's going to be an interesting, interesting ending uh, in the Big Ten East. Well, I love what I've seen from the Big Ten East so far, and I also love what I've seen from Iowa, man. I mean, they make every single quarterback look very human, but the Big Ten East, if we focus exclusively in on what's going on on that side of the league, it's remarkable. I mean, it really is. A lot of people thought this year Michigan State and Michigan would be complete afterthoughts. Everyone else seemed to think it's really a two-horse race with Penn State and Ohio State, the winner of that game, likely representing the, the Big Ten East in the Big Ten Championship. Well, now what you've seen with Michigan State. Michigan State is a perfect example of how quickly you can improve in 2021. They went, they went, got to the transfer portal, they added some key pieces, improved their roster in key spots, and if you look at what else they have, they have a lot of veteran players, guys that are in their fifth, sixth, and seventh year. 
utilizing that super senior rule has allowed them to be very veteran in spots and then sprinkle in some young players and some key transfers throughout their roster. I've been so impressed with what I've seen from top to bottom in the Big Ten East, and I think it's going to be an absolute war in the next six weeks to see who represents the, that side of the Big Ten in the Big Ten Championship. I don't think there's any question, and I refuse to call it a problem. I would say it's a good problem to have, but it's, it's nowhere near a problem. It's good for college football, and it's certainly good for the Big Ten. How about this, though? Don't sleep on Kentucky. If you're looking past the Wildcats, you're, that's not a good idea. Will Levis threw for three touchdowns and ran for two more as Kentucky dominated LSU, a 42-21 blowout on Saturday night. The Wildcats have their first 6-0 start since 1950. Uh, listen, in terms of our Capital One fan vote, we'll ask you this question. Is Kentucky the best undefeated team uh, outside the top four? You can vote on that. But, Greg, wh whatever the answer is, whatever you think, they're doing something right. What is it? Uh, well, they've got a lot better balance now. They brought in Liam Cohen from the Los Angeles Rams. He's utilizing what's been an impressive transfer quarterback and Will Levis being able to balance run and pass. Levis is also a very capable runner. They've always been able to dominate the line of scrimmage, but now they keep you honest with some of their misdirection in their quarterback run and the passing game downfield. So I am thoroughly impressed by what I've seen from Kentucky. Now they go on the road and we find out really what they're all about this weekend when they take on what appears to be an unstoppable Georgia Bulldog force. But I think that this has a chance, Sam, to be potentially the biggest test for Georgia up to this point, knowing the areas in which Kentucky can make you human. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And then you look at Kentucky specifically. They beat Florida a few weeks ago. They beat the breaks off of LSU. Now they have their biggest test, Greg, to your point, in Georgia. But after this Georgia game, which, of course, you never look, by, look past the number one team in the nation. But after this, they have a lot of winnable games on their schedule. Every other game on their schedule is very winnable. And so if you go in and beat a team like Georgia, then you run the table. All of a sudden, Kentucky is now the new Cinderella team. And so shout out to Will Levis for coming in, transfer quarterback. Not only can he throw the ball, he can run the ball. And then also their red zone touchdown percentage, we saw it on the screen, 78% uh, touchdowns in the red zone. They score. They don't kick field goals. And think about what Greg said, that, this, that Kentucky may be the toughest test today for, for Georgia, or certainly on the way. That, look, that is not what we would have said uh, on the way into the season. Again, I mentioned it before, the best undefeated team outside the top four to contend for a playoff spot. Is it Kentucky? Go to Twitter.com slash SportsCenter to check on this week's Capital One fan vote. And what a college football Saturday we have uh, coming up for you guys. Another crazy weekend. You saw what happened last weekend. I I've asked this every week. Uh, Sam, I'll start with you. Is, is it going to continue? I think the craziness will continue. This is the beauty of college football. You never know who's going to win on any given moment. We saw Alabama go down this week. I thought they would go down last week. And so you never know, but let the craziness continue in college football. Listen, I like it, Greg. We'll take it. I know what you I know what you think. You've said all along you thought we'd see it. And uh, the Big Ten East we just talked about, uh, there's really not a better example than that. Uh, it has been a wild ride, and why not continue? It's capped off by another crazy weekend. Uh, we'll look at the ramifications, though, the fallout, and what we expect to happen as we wind our way through another fantastic college football season. not playing very well we're not tackling very well we're not staying in our gaps all these things contribute to not doing well two seconds left 28 yard attempt
The Fighting Texas Aggies take down the top ranked tide. Lane's Crane, Arkansas's hoping. The Rebels hold on. Finally, we can go have some popcorn. Well, we could all have popcorn after last weekend. What a college football Saturday coming up as well. Starts at noon with UCF and Cincinnati, then Iowa a chance to back up that win against Penn State. And finally, our Saturday night game presented by Capital One. Oklahoma stunned Texas, and they'll try to avoid the letdown against TCU. Listen, uh, each week there's ramifications. Sam, what's your biggest takeaway uh, from last weekend? Yeah, my biggest, my biggest takeaway from last weekend is that the Alabama loss opened up the door for Cincinnati. Both Cincinnati and Alabama have one more ranked opponent on their schedule. Cincinnati's undefeated. They've done everything they needed to do. They beat everyone in front of them. They scheduled power five. Whatever you want, they've done. And so now that Alabama has this one loss, Cincinnati has a clear path to the playoff. Yeah, mine's Ohio State. I feel like after the performance against Oregon, nobody was talking about the Buckeyes. They were an afterthought. They're going to lose not just one, maybe two more games. That defense is a mess. They can't do anything right offensively. And then here we are. A few weeks later, it looks like things are going in the right direction. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to win the Big Ten or win the National Championship or anything like that. All I know is they're trending in the right direction, y'all. I completely agree. And you know what? Cincinnati set up their schedule to make this at least possible if they took care of business. We'll see what happens. What a great season so far. We'll be back to talk about it a little bit more tomorrow afternoon, 4.30 Eastern on ESPN.